Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. This podcast, we unlock the secrets, tips, tricks, and mistakes of data science leaders from around the world. My name is Felipe Flores. I'm your host. I'm a data science executive with over 17 years of experience and currently working in a healthcare AI company as head of data science. Today's episode is all about data governance, data ethics. Sometimes the area that data scientists don't like to think about too much or leave until the end. And today we'll hear about why it's such an important area to focus on. Our guest is Michelle Pinheiro, and Michelle is the Executive Head of Enterprise Data Governance and Global GDPR Data Protection Officer at ANZ Bank in Australia. It is a huge role. There's a tremendous amount of responsibility on her shoulders. She tells us all about the initiatives that she's working on, how she's implementing data governance and data ethics across the bank. And uh, she's also the founding director and chair of the Data Institute, tells us about the, the data ethics work that's happening on that front. And she spent a long time at IAG, about 18 years. And we, you know, this conversation, it came up that uh, her career during that time before ANZ, before her current role, she had a, a long career where in the first part of her career, it was improving well over time. But then there was a point at which she started to like really skyrocket in the terms of growing, remit responsibility, the impact, uh, influence, etc. And it was really interesting to dig into that with her while getting all the perspectives about uh, data ethics and data governance. Uh, she is a tremendous professional and I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. Here's the episode with Michelle. Data Futurology's audience is continuing to grow and grow. Did you know that over 12,000 other data enthusiasts across the globe are listening to this episode as well? Well, that's over 20,000 weekly listens to hear content that is loved and shared in the data community. To see how your brand can be featured here or how else Data Futurology can connect you to your audience, visit datafuturology.com forward slash sponsors or leave an audio message via the show notes below. Connect with us so we can collaborate. We can help you grow the presence of your business and you would also be helping to continue to grow Data Futurology. Thanks. Hi, this is Felipe. Today I'm speaking with Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm well, and thank you very much for having me. It's a very rainy, cold winter Tuesday morning. <laughs> right. Uh, so so nice thank you. It's nice to be talking you. to you. Uh, it's nice to be yeah, in, indoors and toasty. Uh, really, really nice not having to do a commute, as we were talking just before. Um, Michelle, uh, uh, you've had such an amazing uh, career, so so accomplished, uh, and and. At the moment, you're doing so many different initiatives. I do want to get there and ask you about how you're managing your time and um, how you're able to squeeze everything in. But to start off with, I wanted to uh, ask you about your origin story. How was it that you first got interested in, in the world of data? What was it that pulled you in? And how did you get started in the first place? Well, um, straight out of school, I did a computer science degree um, and um, I, I found that I thoroughly enjoyed that but knew very early on that I was not going to be a full-time computer programmer um, and, and so um, I really got into, um, into the area of writing requirements and doing um, other aspects around um, writing code and computer science. And so um, my first role was with a consultancy firm and a, a systems integrator, which was wonderful. Um, and I spent a lot of time out on customer sites, um, mm -hmm. understanding what their problems were and putting in um, workflow. And, and what that is about is really understanding the flow of information through the organisation. Um, and around that time, which was a while ago, it was 
predominantly around um, forms and information and processing of forms, which was still very much paper-based, um, but mm. they were being scanned in and then um, reading the information electronically and then determining how to organise that and move that through. So that was probably um, the basis. And I um, visited many, many um, customer sites and had to think up um, innovative ways of being able to um, take out-of-the-box products suites and, and customise them mm. to, to what the customer needed. So um, that was really a really great basis and I became a bit of a, um, I guess, a hacker out of, out of that. Um, and from there, I really moved um, into the world of insurance. I was in the world of insurance for nigh on 20 years. Mm. And that was a marvellous, marvellous grounding for really understanding um, how to articulate requirements, how to be very specific with um, understanding what um, the business needed and then communicate that to as design documents to, to coders. And so as part of that, I did... Um, a lot of legislative work. So um, mm -hmm. I implemented the privacy principles, understood how to interpret those into processes for the customer, how to use their data, um, and also financial services for a form, which probably had a um, bigger impact on me going into data ethics and, and data than actually privacy. Mm. And um, the yeah, the reason that... Um, that that was so influential was because that was all about um, in in the financial world it was about disclosure and being transparent in documents and um, product disclosure statements and um, so I did a lot of that work in redesigning documents and um, determining what information to disclose and and that mm. really comes down to transparency and transparency is a really really big aspect of, of data ethics. And so from and was, there, um, sorry, that just was around ask, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was ago. transparency around how the data would be used or what data was captured. Um, was there any uh, particular focus? It's or was a, it's it a bit of both. Yeah. So in particular, in the world of insurance, one of the things that people are really interested in is, well, how is my premium calculated? And mm. so that was one of the, that, that was a legislation where you actually had to articulate what are the factors or what's the information that you give us that, that we actually then use to calculate your premium. So it sort of took it from being an enigma to, to explaining, well, these are the inputs that we put in. And that's got mm -hmm. a lot of relevance to today's world with artificial intelligence, which is, well, what information are you putting into that black box to then prove mm reduce the outcomes that are going to impact me. And so I guess that's the, the the genesis of it. And that that was a really big change in the insurance world because insurance algorithms for premiums are like the formula for Coca-Cola. Nobody yeah. ever shares them anywhere. Right? <laughs> so so that, that was really interesting. And I really had to put myself into the um, mindset of the customer. And, and that was really nuanced. You know, even some of the things that people don't think about is that um, – even financial documents like these product disclosure statements, even the colours you use in printing the information have to be done in a certain way so that certain, mm. you know, certain pieces of information are really obvious. Um, so you can't hide anything. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, particularly on small font and in terms and conditions. So um, that was, you know, I did a lot of qualitative analysis with, with experts in that field and that was really, really interesting. And so that sort of led me into the world of re more customer rather than data. Mm, um, yeah. So I was really doing a lot with customer journeys. And then that for me morphed into um, the world of data. And when anybody wanted to do something with customer data, they sort of came to me and said, well, we want to do this. Can we do this? And I'd go, no, mm. no, customer's going to let you get away with that. Yeah. Um, so that was, it was really um, the world, and also I um, spent a couple of years working on a very large um, uh, transformation project where the health of the data had to um, improve. So I got a lot of experience with that's where I got a lot of experience with data management and organising data and quality and 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 those kind of aspects. And I've never left really. <laughs> so so that um, 
that was sort of my grounding. And then um, I really um, got, uh, it took a leadership role in, in data management and data governance um, almost 10 years ago. Um, mm. And have been really staying in that world. I really love it. Um, I really like learning more about it. You know, pursued awards and and that kind of thing. Um, and have had some great mentors in that field. And um, it's it's a very complex um, function, data governance and, and data management. Um, you can't just come in it and assume that hey, I know I know data. I can do this. There's lots of aspects to it in terms of how you do quality methodology and metadata and now ethics and privacy and data regulation and data crisis management. So it's very, very interesting. And um, I'm always looking for ways to innovate in, in that world. And um, and so um, I have the privilege now of, of having a really large team and that, that's really awesome. And so, so yeah, and so part of being, I, I like having a big industry presence. So Felipe, you've seen me at many conferences talking. Uh, probably quite passionately about um, a lot of uh, aspects around data governance and data ethics. Um, but data ethics is my new passion, obviously. And it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and what and what, what really um, stood out to me in, in your journey is the, um, the deep knowledge of the business that, um, that you chased and developed as part of the, the data transparency work. Um, because essentially going into the the... Coca-Cola formula level of secrets of a business to get to even get close to that, you have to have such a deep understanding of the business as a whole, um, and 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 then you brought in the the customer lens, uh, both both like um, these are two additions that that have made you stand uh, really stand out in a field that is that is um, you know as you said sometimes more focused about data or people people think it's all about the data itself but bringing in the business and the customer lens um, is is key um, that's Absolutely. that's really great really impressive uh, I wanted to ask you about your time in insurance uh, by by looking at your background there was there was a moment there was a, a shift in your career where you um, were at IAG for um, for some time about seven years I think and you were doing a single role and then over the next period uh, it seemed like your career skyrocketed and you were you were moving um, getting a lot more responsibility very quickly and obviously doing extremely well, kicking a lot of goals. I wanted to ask you, um, was there any any noticeable shift that you can see um, maybe even with, with hindsight? So looking back, was there any shift in in your approach or, or in the way you worked? Or did you learn anything that um, during that previous period that then set you up for for that um, rapid rise in in the second second half of your time at the insurance company? Sure, uh, there's a, a few factors that contributed to that. Um, the first one is that in that role that I had where I was running uh, major projects, it was really interesting. So I went from one project to another and they were quite innovative projects. So one of the first ones was where um, we had to um, deliver a new product in a very short period of time. And uh, so we adopted quite agile um, approach to it before anybody knew anything about Agile and that was really hilarious because yeah. I got to make up Agile and I did things like lock people in a room and said you're not getting out of here until you approve this document and there's no negotiation so that was pretty funny um, <laughs> and then we got I love there, it. But, but, but I learned the art of, of delivery and and mm -hmm. um, just keeping a focus on that North Star and ignoring the noise um, and so that's something that um, I I still have today in that, you know, if we're, we're going to say we deliver something, we're, we're going to deliver. Um, and, um, and and that's really important in the world of data governance because it's so easy to go off tangent and, you know, start boiling the mm. whole ocean. So easy. Um, yes. But also as part of that, Philippe, I had I had a few children in that period. So um, then I came back and, and it's quite interesting. Um, yeah. After having a family, I thought I'll, I'll come back and I'll um, I'll just play it a bit low key and, and whatever. And I came back and it took about forty eight hours. And I went, 
who am I kidding? <laughs> I like, was thinking that. <laughs> I need my old job back. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I just went, right, that's it. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, forget, forget that. Mum's back. I am back. And that's pretty funny. And um, so, so I just started uh, uh, designing, you know, saying, hey, that doesn't work, designing new processes. And so you talked about that understanding of, of customer and the business. One, mm. a, a really great thing to have in your toolkit is understanding process and how design mm -hmm. process. And I had a, a great leader who I worked for around that time who said he'd worked at an organisation, not an organisation, he'd worked at a, um, a mechanic office who, who had twice the throughput of any other mechanic because he designed wow. his workflow such that the somebody was there to provide the tools so the mechanic did not have to get up and get their tools. And so he said that the ability to design processes to streamline um, how you do things is really, really important. So I was doing a lot of that work with data and organising and streamlining how, how, how data is managed. Um, and then you're going to laugh at this. At, at some point in that period, I went and did a um, four-day Anthony Robbins Rara festival nice. and came out of there like a maniac. And uh, and within about six months, I, I got promoted. And so, yeah, that, it, that was – I just um, really, really adopted this, you know, just work harder, work harder than anyone else and um, and really strive for what you want. So I did and it, and it has paid off. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, that is um, – th thanks for sharing that. That is that is really good and, and definitely um, – Yes, yeah, sorry. I've also you had say? the privilege of having some great leaders who've who've given me the freedom to do that. That's really, really important. And I, and I, I, I agree. I agree. But the uh, as a leader, the the freedom, and obviously you know this, but the freedom is is given as a vote of confidence. Uh, it is to to the people that demonstrate that um, both that delivery, that potential, that vision. That's the um, the the type of people that leaders back uh so uh i think i think it's i do agree that good leaders do um promote you uh, promote good people but it's it's um largely self-created and self-directed which i can i can definitely see um in you so that's that's amazing um and so so interesting that you mentioned the the strength about the products and and uh having that that energy, that drive, and ambition um, to to really make things happen. Um, how how do you see the the process side, the workflow? How how has that been? Could you give us an example of how that has worked in in the data world and in your professional career? How you've implemented those learnings? Yeah. So so workflow and the, and the concept of, of process so that's that's really a mindset of of thinking well okay this step one happens then what's the next step and what can go wrong um, and if something goes wrong how do I mitigate that and then how do I move to the next thing and how is that person receiving this information and what are they thinking and and really um, being quite detailed and thinking all of those things through now how that relates to data, is that there's lots of quotes around data, data is in your oil and all that kind of stuff. But one of the best ones is that um, data is like the lifeblood that feeds your organisation. Now, I've kind of adapted that. There's a, data is like a river that, that goes through your organisation. And, and data is, is like a surly teenager. Um, it can misbehave at the drop of a hat. So I've seen data curl up like a big ball and take out major systems um, because it just misbehaved. And, and the way it was misbehaved is that somebody changed a piece of reference data. They, they, they changed a date so that a extract of data for a report was not two days worth, it was 200 days worth. And so 200 days worth of data went through these old systems and blew them away. And um, so it, it's really interesting around, you know, it, it's that process of seeing uh, data is ubiquitous right through your organisation. It goes from one system to another. And so when you're looking at 
the impact of making changes to data or use of it, you've, you've got to look at the flow of where it's come from and where it's going mm. to, um, and not just your little, your little bit. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm not shy about saying, you know, data is not part of the IT world, it's part of the business world. Um, to me, technology and systems will come and go, we'll all end up in the cloud at some point. Um, and, you know, for, for everything but the data will stay. Um, mm -hmm. And you can make the most wonderful, beautiful apps on you know on for phones for mobile apps for your thing but if if you have really bad data feeding it it's a poor customer experience there's nothing you can do about it um and so you know data can be compromised right through the processes and the flows um from where it's captured right to the way through it's used um and so, um, you know, understanding those processes and mapping them out in all the places that they can go wrong is, is really important. And, and simplification is a big key because the more mm. complicated your data flows are, the more chance there is for the data to be compromised. And so that's something that, um, you know, data lineage and all the work that I'm doing at the moment is, is a big way of shining a light on that. That's excellent. And that's a really good segue to um, jump into some, some of that work and some of the things that you've been, that you've been thinking about, because I love, I love your, your focus of understanding what are the, the implications of any work that somebody does? What are the implications beyond your, your area or beyond your remit and how that can have uh, business impacts downstream, upstream. Um, I think that you you maintain a really good um, broad vision of of the of the company um, as a whole in order to to see where things can go wrong. Um, so I did want to ask you about uh, about what you're thinking about at the moment, how you're, what type of things you're you're tackling at work, and obviously things that you can share, um, and maybe starting with your your approach to data governance. Um, as um, obviously as a as a whole, what are the different segments within data governance? Um, how do you how do you see it, and how can you describe it to to others? Well, um, data governance is not for the lighthearted. <laughs> there's actually <laughs> there's actually a science to it, um, and uh, there's a massive book called the Data Management Book of Knowledge, which is a great grounding um, to start with, um, and I think. My approach to data governance is there are some foundational capabilities that you have to have um, in place in an organisation and they're fairly well known um, in terms of measuring quality and managing your metadata and, and having um, you know, policies and, and a framework for that. Um, and, and that kind of data governance has been around um, for a long time um, and it's still very valid. Um, but uh, in in um, in my view, uh, uh, things have very much changed over the last uh, twenty years. So, for example, um, data governance is now a a key thing on the topic of board meetings because there is liability attached to mm -hmm. what happens with data now. Whereas before, it was like you know, I mean, look easily, you know, ten fifteen years ago, um, data governance would world would get the the dregs left over of the budget um, when there was you know at, at the end of the financial year and now it is really well invested in which is really marvelous so so there has been you know regulation has been uh, and privacy has been a big driver in um, shining a light on the need for for greater governance but my approach to data governance is you, you can either have the carrot or the stick. It depends on the organisation that you're working for. If, if you're in an organisation that is heavily regulated, then um, regulation you know, can work in your favour and can um, be a great driver inside the organisation to get things done. If you're in an organisation that's not so heavily regulated, then um, that you have work to do in actually convince your business executives that this data governance work is a really good idea because it's actually going to make us more money or bring us in more customers or generate more trust and that kind of thing. So that's a little bit harder because some of those um, kind of benefits are really um, not so tangible. Um, mm. 
but um, you know, look, organisations that do that really well, um, you know, really online organisations like Amazon and that, they they nail it, and um, so you know, they, they would have you know amazing uh, uh, you know governance over their data because it just you can just see that it it feeds every aspect of their organisation. So it's a lot tougher for for older organisations to to catch up and. Um, act in that same way and it takes a change in mindset and also a change in, in technology and approach. Um, but look, my favourite parts of data governance are, um, you know, really in the world of innovation and, and customer mm -hmm. journeys and how can we really help customers, um, but also, you know, looking at all the different use cases that are coming in from the world of analytics. That's mm -hmm. that's a really fascinating world, and also in the world of um, the um, you know innovate innovative space and the um, startups and and the innovation arms of organisations and the ideas that they come up with are, are amazing, um, and and data governance has to keep up with them um, and be able to provide advice in a timely manner to say that's really awesome, but um, that you know it's not quite in line with what um, you know standards or regulation require it's not in line with the expectations of, a, of our customers so perhaps a few changes are a bit way so so we have to be helpful mm. and provide recommendations not stand in front of trains that's why I say to my my staff don't stand in front of that train because it's going to keep going and run over you you have mm -hmm. to show them the way and the channel to to be able to still achieve their outcomes but do it in a really safe way with the data and yes and, and that's really interesting oh 100 percent um <laughs> so could you could you tell me about how the the customer side or the customer journey come together with with data governance and where what is that that um intersection look like what is the 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 data governance lens that comes in uh, that can help shape a a customer journey, um, and what what are some of the some of the benefits that that uh, the that the customer journey would get as a result of of uh, implementing good data governance? So um, look at a really um, sort of layman's terms, you you don't want your customers to feel that creepy factor, and I hate using that term because it's a, it's a really basic and and sort of old fashioned term, but it's a good place to start. And so at the very start of you know the customer journey, it's about what what data you capture about your customers, mm. and and so regulation stipulates that you should only be capturing. Um, Customer income is relative to the providing as a example, being a uh, an insurance. I'll take an example: an insurance organisation, and you don't want to be asking personal information that's got nothing to do um, with mm. offering um, and managing an insurance product. And so that's where that creepiness. I think that's the main area of where the creepiness factor mm. comes in, which is uh, they know too much about me. So, so legitimate collection of information is is really important, and I, and I think organisations are much better at that than they were, say, ten years ago. You know, ten years ago there was there was data for sale. You, mm. you know, there were organisations thinking I'm going to get all new revenue streams of being able to to sell data I know about people. Well, regulation is really putting has put a stop to that. And then I think that there is an aspect in analytics that I think. Um, as part of my work in the industry, I want to really help um, shine a light on, which is that mm -hmm. just because you have the raw data about a customer doesn't mean you can create any insight about them from it. Yes. Um, and that's a lot of the work that practical work that I'm doing in data ethics. So, um, for example, if you have information about a customer on their spending or actually their their fitness habits say for example um, that does not mean that you can then go and create um, you know summary information to say well this person is unfit uh, by way of being a fitbit information I'm going to make them unfit um, that's not okay uh, any any insight you create about a customer you actually have to go through um, you know the privacy regulation am I supposed to have this information uh, do I need this information um, and so the world of ethics is about saying well you know just because you have it doesn't mean that you you can do that and that's called collection yeah. by creation that that concept um, 
And so mm. a lot of practical work in the world of data ethics is, is to say, well, uh, what, what kind of safe insights can you create about customers that are related to your business that don't mm. feel too invasive on a, on a customer's mm -hmm. life? Um, and that's particularly relevant to organisations that are able to track of customers, um, mm -hmm. that perhaps even track the spending of customers, track um, any other sort of transactional behaviour that they do. It's really important to sort of set a bit of a bar around um, ethically, you know, what's within the reasonable expectations that a, a that, that this organisation would be monitoring about me. It's, it's a really mm -hmm. interesting, interesting area. And then surfacing that into decisions about the customer. It, 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 such, it's a really, um, you know, it's a, it, it is really, I mean, you can imagine this is a really yeah. interesting part where AI gets into it because if you mm. create an insight about a customer, that's it's not mm. really reasonable for you to have. Um, and, and that's, you know, an example of that is the, the whole Cambridge analytical scandal where they were creating mm -hmm. insights about whether they thought a, thought a person was neurotic or not, mm -hmm. and yeah. then making decisions about those people and feeding information to those people based on the fact that they thought they were neurotic. Um, and of course, you know, much uproar around around that. <laughs> That's an extreme example. There are less extreme examples, but um, it, it's but so easy correct. to do. Correct. It highlights it highlights the the risk definitely. And what what I what I like um, about about this approach is that it. Um, turns on its head what the way that it used to be where it used to be people said let's let's capture as much data as possible let's buy as much data as possible let's get our hands on as much data as possible and then see what we can do or come up with interesting things yeah well the current and the new world is to say think strategically about what services you want to be able to provide um, see if you know there's a market need for that and if there is establish consent processes um, inform the customer uh, that you're capturing certain data and and um, get them to essentially opt in with eyes open knowing uh, the value that they can get and then be able to provide that that service uh, so I think I think that that shift um, is I've, I've um, been encouraged to to see that shift in in our industry, and uh, it's it's by it's by by people like you driving this, um, helping helping organisations be be better in this space. Sorry. Yeah, there there was a short period where um, there was this insatiable appetite for get more yes. data, get more data, thinking that there would be massive revenue streams or almost spin-offs from companies where we just market the data and. And, and we we sell our data, um, hmm. and and that's really fraught. Uh, it didn't hmm. last very long, uh, for hmm. a number of reasons. Regulation, but the other one is that um, your raw data is the life source of your organisation. Hmm. How do you know that by sharing your raw data, you're not giving insights and intellectual property about your organisation away hmm. to other organisations? So why would you do that? Um, <laughs> There is merit in in um, providing either through value add or selling insights, safe mm -hmm. insights, um, and and that's really about marketing the IP and the the um, uh, algorithms and the 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 work that the data science community in your organisation can create data products, safe data products to sell, but not your raw data. Um, it, it, it's it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> to me. <laughs> but you know, an interesting insight is that you look at um, it's like Amazon. They have so much data, so much knowledge, and um, what they did was it. You know, a lot of people don't know is that Amazon have the largest um, luggage um, uh, business in the world because they saw an insight in the data and then created a business from it. Hmm. They didn't take the data and sell the data. They created. They saw a business opportunity and that's really um, the new world which is having enough data and then understanding the business opportunities and um, there's so much potential in there for organizations to help their customers um, if not particularly in the world of supply chain um, the more data you know about supply chain and the whole way that the, the world of um, transport and logistics is changing mm -hmm. with technology um, is so interesting. So, um, you know, 
uh, I, I think that's much, much more beneficial and much more helpful to the economy. <laughs> Definitely, could not could not agree more. Um, and you you definitely highlighted the the importance and um, of having good data governance and how it can it can help a business be better. It can help the the customers. Um, for I wanted to ask you from a perspective of somebody who is uh, or companies that are just or teams that are just getting started in the in this space, what are what are some of the the key things that you think that they should um, first look into if if somebody is um, starting to think about data governance now um, as a as as a result of your eloquent uh, discussion of your of your journey, if somebody's just starting today, uh, what what are the the top things that you that you think they should consider? Um, that is a really great question. It it depends if if you're going into a very large company with a lot of data and you're starting from scratch. Um, good luck. Good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, quite often this question comes to me from organisations that are a bit smaller and probably don't have a very large data governance um, mm -hmm. budget. But there's a lot of great tools out there that you can utilise, um, and uh, you know things like the Confluence tool and the Atlassian tools are really, really good in being able to get organised. And that's the essence of data governance: just get organised and, and get on top of how your data is being used. So um, one of the one of the first things I would do is start arresting where there is the greatest data risk. And um, in this day and age, it's really around about where there is unregulated use of data in your organisation. You want to get on top of that and really create a, a bit of a stopgap or a, a review process for where there's new uh, use cases of data um, either pass through your desk or have some level of oversight that that is okay according to, um, you know, not only regulation but from an ethical perspective and also from a customer's perspective. Perspective. And, and that doesn't mean send it to the lawyers because the lawyers will look at it from a legal yeah. perspective. Um, you want to look at it from a from an ethical perspective. You know, uh, there's lots of things that you can do legally that ethically just don't pass um, don't pass muster. There's a lot of grey area, particularly in that in that world of, of, of privacy. Um, and the ability to re-identify people, um, mm. I, I find it quite fun. I, all the different ways that I can draw out information and re-identify people. When people in the data community say to me, well, I've removed all the personal information from this data set. And I said, but I can, I can still find myself in that data set. Um, it's not about just removing, de-identifying. It's about truly anonymizing. I wanted to, to ask about your, your views on, on data ethics. Uh, where do you think it's going? And so if you can tell us a little bit about your work with uh, TDI, but what is your, your views on what's coming up in the data ethics side? Well, it's it's certainly a very interesting space and I'm been involved in data ethics um, probably for a couple of years and I've seen how um, the interest in it has really evolved. Um, and there are obviously um, organizations that have been created that are for philanthropic um, purposes around um, the use of data for ethical purposes, which in my opinion is, is different from data ethics. So um, the way I really see it connecting into corporate strategy is really just an extension of corporate social responsibility. So um, good corporate governance means that you have to um, have an ethical uh, code of conduct, really. That's that's something that most Australian organisations need to have. And data ethics should just be an extension of that. So how do you take your corporate code of ethics and apply that to data? So that sh it shouldn't be completely foreign. That's the really way to implement it within an organisation. Um, and you, you really need some people in data governance to then help interpret that into, well, actually, what are you talking about when we talk about data ethics? Um, I go to a lot of uh, industry conferences and sessions around data ethics, and I still find that the topics are very much in how to obey regulation. 
And so, look, the models for corporate governance really are, um, there's, there's a very famous model called um, Carol's uh, model for uh, corporate social responsibility. And at the very bottom, your organisation just needs to be profitable to be sustainable. Above that, it has to um, be legal in that it complies with the laws and the regulations. And then above that is um, how do you act fairly and act ethically? And then on top, how do you be philanthropic, right? So I see a clear distinction between data ethics and uh, laws related to data, for example, privacy and, and other regulations that are forming around the globe. It's a close connection, but you there's there's no morality in saying, well, we're ethical because we comply with the law. You actually have to have an ethical stance with how you manage and utilise your data. And of course, there's lots of things that you can do with data which are unethical, um, which are completely compliant with current law because law is always trying to keep up with technology and these wonderful data scientists who come up with these wonderful uh, ideas around how to leverage data. Um, and so to have some ethical um, data ethics principles um, that uh, sort of are able to be referenced when new ideas and new technology is adapted is really, really important. Um, and, a, and a couple of times I've had um, some ex great experience in, in looking at appropriate ethical principles um, for large organisations. Um, and, and, you know, different organisations have different sp perspectives on that. And so um, I find now that uh, company boards are really, really interested in uh, what these principles are like. Um, and, and, and want to weigh in on that. I, I think that one of the key focuses for for boards are uh, where does where does customer data end, or you know, personally personal information end, and where does our yes. data that belongs to our organisation start? Where's that line in the sand, and and do we need to create a really um, a specific line there, and that's really important uh, for, for data scientists because obviously regulation and rules apply to use of personal information, uh, but then when you're in the world of information that's owned by your company, whether it's insights or aggregations or, or that kind of thing, then that that regulation doesn't necessarily need to apply. So understanding the, the differentiation between that is really important. Um, but there's really interesting concepts in data ethics that I just I'm I'm just so hungry to explore a lot more. And you know, one of them is like surveillance. Oh, how interesting mm -hmm. is that? You know, starting to monitor um, people's movements, and when is monitoring okay, and when is monitoring not okay? And um, a, a very interesting question I've got in my mind around that is well. A lot of organisations create insights around people's movements, but in the initial tracking, to be able to get those to those aggregated insights, you actually have had to have tracked people. And is that okay? Yeah. So and, that's and a real. Know. That's right, right. And that kind of use case really leans into the heart of ethics, which is: Have you used a person as a means to your own ends? Your ends is justifiable, but the means of how you got there, is that okay? And it's kind of like that whole world of, you know, have you sacrificed people's privacy to get to your outcome? Um, and you can justify your outcome, but you can't justify the way that you got there. And and that's a real, you know, I love talking to data scientists and saying, well, you know, how, you know you've, you've done some pretty interesting things to get to this awesome outcome. I'm not quite sure that people would be comfortable in the way that you you got there. And so it gets them really thinking. Um, other areas I love are, um, you know, invasiveness and exclusion. Yes. Um, and, I, and I love, um, uh, in terms of exclusion, it's like if you can equate that to things like the Facebook news feed, where um, by knowing your preferences and what you click on, they give you the content that you like. But what happens over time that you're only seeing the content that you like? And, and that gets into the world of inclusiveness, which um, that platform and the use of data reaffirms your opinions and re-justifies your opinions. But what happens if your opinions are really um, bad for society? Um, 
it's not good. Um, and so whereas, you know, once you would have been the lone crackpot in these social media sites, you are you found your friends across the globe and you self-justify and we start getting these really right-wing kind of, uh, you know, uh, beliefs really permeating into society. Um, so I find that really, really interesting. Um, and, um, and, and the other one I was talking about, which is invasiveness, which is knowing too much about a person um, by, by way of connecting the data points and coming up with inferences about people. Um, that's a really um, interesting uh, world that um, I'm looking to see how to, uh, you know, codify in my world to say, well, what, what, is, what is invasive and what's in it? not invasive and it kind of depends on the organisation that you are. If you're a really trusted organisation, maybe the, the customer trusts you to know more about them. But if you're perceived as a really untrustworthy organisation or, or, you know, a, a actually let's not say untrustworthy, but just say a, a retailer of shoes, should you really know about my personality traits because you're a retailer? Well, not really. Um, but you've made inferences about me based on the shoes that I buy. I'm not really comfortable with that. So they're really, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of education, um, potential for education out in the corporate world to really um, get that kind of ethical perspective. And it's very subjective. Um, but it's very interesting. <laughs> So, so interesting. So interesting. And I think uh, you just uh, explained it so well. And um, I definitely wanted to, to ask you about the, you know, the intent um, behind a lot of the initiatives where, you know, the intent uh, might be good, but, you know, lines can be, can be crossed. And also, yeah. um, if, uh, if you have any, any views on the how the data ethics part works with, with um, and definitely overlaps, and, and I wonder if you see them as different the data ethics to the model model governance or or the ethical AI side, um, because yep. I, I really like the approach that you take uh, to to data ethics. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you for any thoughts. Um, my experience is that there's always good intent. Um, it, it's 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 not often that you find um, somebody who has really nefarious um, intents with the use of data. There's always good intent, um, but it goes back to, um, you know, a belief that we have to crack, which is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And um, there are a lot of people that think, well, because we, we collect the raw data, um, we can create any insights we want from it because we collected the raw data legitimately. That is not the case. That is not the case. You collect raw data for a specific primary purpose. And if you then create secondary models or uh, features or facts about people to be able to explore new markets or new products, um, that's not okay if that is really quite a divergence from your primary purpose. Mm. Um, so, so that's something that um, businesses need to do work on how they make that evaluation. And I think that, you know, that's part of the governance model of how um, you provide education. And then where there are challenges to that, who does that get escalated up to and then who makes that subjective decision? And um, I, I am doing an ethics degree and part of that is law, which is, which is tough. Law subjects is tough. But what I've experienced from learning that is the use of precedent. Um, and that works in, the, in, in data ethics as well. So if you have done something similar before, you can reference that, that that is okay. And so therefore um, you can go forward safely um, and, and you can start getting, you know, codifying and, and um, automating workflows around approving data, you know, the data ethics reviews of use cases. Um, because governance should really be about breaking the rules. Um, everything that's falling inside the rules should just be automated. We just eliminate the humans from that. Absolutely. I'm preaching to the converted. Should be as fast. Data governance should be as fast as possible. And people like me should only be looking at use cases that are really gnarly. 
you know, ones where you come to me and say, Michelle, I want to take this data and I want to go and do some analysis of, you know, where people are going on their holidays and what they're doing on their holidays and what they're buying on their holidays and who they're hanging out with. And I'll be saying, well, mm -hmm. okay, well let's have a little bit of a chat about that. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> because you're, you're, you're monitoring their movements, you're monitoring who they're hanging out with, you're monitoring what they eat. And so you're putting a, a behavioural profile around them. And is that really appropriate for you? Um, as you know you know in the industry that you're in and so um this is so important michelle i uh, <laughs> absolutely I'm this work um and, and, and so your principles I'm, I'm just going to finish off by saying your your data ethics principles for an organization one thing that was said to me by a, a really um really great leader was so i understand the problems with this use case but which one of your data ethics principles traps me which one stops me at the gate? And that's really important. I can talk to you about, you know, your use case, it's not quite right, but then you're going to say to me, well, which principle are I breaking? And I have to make sure that I have, have sufficient principles to stop you appropriately um, when those use cases are a bit hairy. <laughs> oh, so true, so true. Uh, I, I love that. And, and what about what about uh, the, the consent? Where, where's the consent piece? And, and, I'm asking because I'm, I'm working in a, for example, as a sort of live, live use case, I'm working in a healthcare AI company and we're being really tied around the, the consent upfront, which allows us to capture certain data. From that data, yes. there's a million use cases it grows yeah. quite exponentially, especially when the creative juices get going and the data scientist in me gets super excited. We could do this, we could do that. But then yeah. we are essentially limiting the use cases by the initial consent. And then if there's anything else that we would like to explore, we're saying we have to go back. And this is... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, how do you see it playing and how does it go with the um, with the overall data ethics principles? Um, and yeah, and what is what do you see as the role yeah. of, of the consent and informing the the end user? Absolutely. So consent is very very powerful. So um, when when the privacy legislation in Australia first came out, um, and, and it's probably fairly it's it's, it's reasonably consistent. Um, with, with other forms of legislation around the globe is that you have this concept of primary consent. And primary consent is not often captured. It's in implicitly captured by way of saying, well, um, do you, you read a privacy disclosure and you say, um, by, by agreeing to this, uh, we're going to create a customer profile of you and capture information um, about you for the purposes of providing you with a product or service. And that's primary consent. And so you capture all that information, and then that comes through to the to the analytical databases to to you, Felipe, and you go, oh, goody, I can I can do all these wonderful things in terms of cross sell, upsell, new revenue streams. I can look to partner with this other organisation and create insights. So that's where it gets interesting, and um, I think. The, whoever's uh, driving data ethics within your organisation needs to really um, be clear on what is primary purpose. So your use case either needs to connect to primary purpose, if it's not, it's secondary purpose, and you need to really think about whether or not that is reasonable in the eyes of the customers. Would they reasonably expect that you would do um, that that use uh, use that data for for that purpose. Does it sort of fit within re the remit of a health organisation? If it doesn't, um, you you need to actually ask consent or, or be transparent. Um, asking consent is always good and. Um, uh, legislation like GDPR, which is really, really um, quite, uh, you know, a blunt instrument, is driving for actually getting that explicit ex consent upfront. You need to have that. And um, I, I find the GDPR legislation very, very interesting. I'm the data protection officer for for my current organisation. Um, and uh, you know, just the background of it is so interesting. Um, privacy is actually um, a gateway um, uh, sort of right that holds, you know, keeps a whole bunch of other rights at bay. 
Um, and so, for example, if you lose your privacy, um, if your information is exposed, then you're exposed to discrimination. You're exposed to, um, you know, other kinds of, uh, you know, sexism or religious discrimination, um, you know, socioeconomic discrimination because your privacy has violated. People know about you. And that's why privacy is so important. It's a gateway right. Um, and they're very, very passionate about that in Europe because basically World War II and um, you know the the atrocities that happened at World War II, it, it was uh, you know there was information harvesting uh, going on um, about the the Jewish population, and so they're very, very passionate about privacy and never having that happen again. And so understanding the background of GDPR is really, really um, interesting and important, and it is permeating around the globe. Um, but you know those kinds of strict rules haven't arrived on on our shores here at Australia yet. But you know I, I assume that they will at some point. Um, and there's more control being put in the hands of of people. But um, privacy is a right, and you and you can't trade it. And I, I used to look at you know all these wonderful little startups that were being created probably around about five years ago where people were going to be paid for for giving their personal information and I just that is just fraught that is not going any you what you're going to transact on somebody's privacy you can't do you can't buy privacy mm. um, it's a right that you have and you can't trade it it's akin to saying well you know it's like well I'll give you some money for your kidney um, <laughs> can I have my kidney back, please? You're going to give me my money back? I'd like my privacy back, please. It's very interesting. I can get very mm. philosophical about it. Um, so, I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. You're definitely um, opening my eyes and, and my mind. And and tell me, um, uh, final final question for you, Michelle. This is so interesting. Um, where where would you where would you like? Uh, data ethics to to go, or what? Where where do you see the uh, the future of data ethics as it uh, continues to increase in importance? Uh, do we have um, um, and and I, I I love that you picked this uh, as as one of your main main interests at the moment. Uh, what do you see that's coming up in the in the space? Um, so I see that um, very much. Uh, a lot of the content that I see coming out, uh, you know, emails and forums I'm a part of is really around ethics and AI. Um, and that's a focus, yes, but I actually think there's some fundamental stuff that needs to be done, foundational stuff that needs to be done beforehand, which is develop your principles, make sure they're connected to your code of conduct, figure out that whole, how that all works into your corporate social responsibility. One of the things I, I have said before is, you know, you should um, treat your data like you treat your money. So if you're an organisation and you wouldn't pour money into a certain industry, well, why would you give your data to that industry? Um, so, so that's where, you know, from end to end where ethics can go. You should actually be looking at if you're emancipating your data and, and creating insights, where is that going? Is that being used to the detriment of the population um, of the country that you live in? Are you creating insights that are going to then go and um, uh, remove, um, uh, you know, disabled facilities from certain community communities? Are you creating insights that's going to make the police turn up um, in in that particular community? Are you creating insights that are going to price gouge people? Very interesting. You you cannot actually, if it's if it's your data from your organisation that's being used to facilitate decisions, you want to know the very last decision that is being made with the data that you're providing. And, and that's a really interesting quandary for organisations that are producing insights as data products. Um, and so you know you know where liability starts and ends is, is a a legal question that sort of got to go there as well. I'm going a little bit off piste. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This um, is fantastic. I love the broad like, approach that you have. It's yeah. very necessary. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so where do I want to see data ethics go? I'd like to see it sort of built into corporate governance a lot more. Mm. Um, I'm really excited to see um, tools that are becoming available to actually make it practical. 
um, and, I, and I've seen a couple of those come into the, the market, particularly around bias. I've had some really interesting conversations around bias and, and I was biased about bias. Can you believe that? I was always thought bias was around, you know, who are you? Um, you you're looking at a, a cohort of data and are you focused on a particular set or are you eliminating a, a set of people to make your model look better and is that discriminatory? And then um, somebody said to me, well, what about who's not even in the data set at all? Mm. And, and the example that they gave to me was, well, um, you know, in a, in a particular community, they were looking in putting in um, a, a certain light rail infrastructure and all the data that was used to do, to, to, to work out the, the timings and where that should go was based on paid workers. Well, what about voluntary workers? What about, Un, you know, all these unpaid, there's a massive unpaid workforce and they were excluded from the data and excluded from consideration. And so mm. I think, um, you know, tools that help draw that out and understanding where there's proxy biases, you know, you say we're not um, using, um, uh, you know, gender as a bias in this model, but there's so many proxies for gender in data. So, so your models can be clever enough to work out um, gender proxies and so we need to get more sophisticated in wait for this AI for AI AI ethics for AI <laughs> that's what yes. I want to see that's where it should go Felipe. <laughs> I love it I love it uh, Michelle thank you so much thanks for sharing your, your journey your perspective it's been a pleasure. I think it's extremely necessary thank you so much for your time no problem it's been a pleasure thank you Felipe that brings this episode to conclusion Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.